And then the, the payoff of that scene, I think I might have laughed out loud. Once you become, dare I say, an aficionado <laughs> of the Wilhelm scream, you cannot miss it. There's a moratorium on any comments about 1970s AM radio hits for the rest of today. All right, summer is over. The kids are back in school, so that is the perfect time to visit the amusement park. <laughs> you know, hopefully the crowds are down. That's right. <laughs> it's a, and it's a lot more scary as well. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and thanks to everybody, first of all, right out of the gate, uh, except for me, <laughs> uh, at the last Fright Club Live where you showed the last circus. The first one in, what, four years? At least four years. That I had to miss. Yep. Darn job, darn that's, day job. That's right. I had to go po- host the pizza challenge that's right, here you in did. Columbus. So uh, you guys had fun without me. We did. And actually, I really want to thank Chris Hamill, the president programmer at Gateway Film Center, because I can't do a podcast, it turns out, without you. <laughs> uh, and so he I knew ha- I was here for something. <laughs> so he helped us to fill in that time where we normally record the podcast before we show the movie by doing this really cool sort of hands-on plus QA thing about projection and film because they the, the film that we watched The Last Circus he brought in in 35 millimeter but of course at Gateway Film Center they can also do 70 millimeter mm-hmm. and and you know and so we got this really cool sort of presentation about film itself and about platters and reel to reel and 70 millimeter and 35 millimeter and uh, and then he took a bunch of questions and it was awesome so yeah. thank you so much Chris yeah. for doing that and there was a lot of we really appreciated the crowd because there was a lot of competition that night Film Festival of Columbus opened up there's oh, a lot of stuff going on. Film Festival Columbus was, the lineup for that was just killer. Yeah. It was so great, especially that first night, which is the, the night that we had uh, Fright Club. And then they also, because Gateway does do so many film, they bring so much film, and they had, uh, during Fright Club, they were also showing the 35 millimeter print of Creep Show. Yeah. There was just so much going on, and so, yeah, thanks to everybody who came to Fright Club, because there were a thousand other things (laughs) just at the gateway that you could have been doing, so thank you. Yeah, that was good. So, we look forward to the next Fright Club Live, which is going to be Train to Busan. Yes, and we are going to do vehicular horror to coincide with that, and I'm excited. We've seen it on a big screen once before, but I'm excited. I mean, it's it's just, it's it's such a visceral and fast-moving, and it's a great movie to look at. I mean, I'm very excited to see yeah, it. So that's yeah. going to be October the 9th yep. back at Gateway Film Center. So good stuff. We're talking about amusements this time. Is is that a uh, an idea that we stole from somebody? Um, I've heard we do that. We do that. We do actually. The next one we're gonna do. We we stole. We lifted. It was larceny. But but no, this one actually. It was just that I knew that I wanted to show the last circus, mm-hmm. uh, and we've already done one on clowns. So I was just sort of thinking about well, what what could we do to to go along with the last circus? And I thought about circuses, and I did come up with five circus movies, but they seemed a little limiting. And with It Chapter 2 out, right. I thought, how can we work more of these things together? I so think, we, I think from here on in, it's not that we steal ideas, it's that we homage. <laughs> we homage our favorite ideas. That's right. Doesn't that sound better? That does sound better. You know what, though? I mean, as long as we're pointing that out, we should say again thanks to uh, 
to Jenny Rea for joining us in the last. Oh, yeah, Jen Dreadful. That's right, Jen Dreadful, uh, who we stole. She is uh, Phantom Dark Dave's co-host. Homage. Homage. (laughs) I don't think we homaged Jenny. I think we stole her. And we missed Dave. We were sorry that he couldn't make it. But I think that we're we're, we're percolating a new idea uh, for later this year when Dave and Jenny can join us and we'll probably do Troma. And that'll be fun because you will hate every (laughs) single movie. (laughs) You know what? I'll just turn the mic on and go sit down and go read a book or something. Uh, I'll come back. No, that's that's no, it's it's that's all right. We don't always get to do our favorite. Well, you get to do a lot of your favorites, but yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, but that's kind of how it works. <laughs> I'm here for the podcast. That's right. That's you know right. what though? Before we jump in, I want to say thank you to Katie for coming out to Fright Club because uh, Katie of D Zach and the Pine of Joes, uh, she came out. I love their first album. <laughs> don't get to see her that often but she said that she's she like listened to 30 like of the back catalog like the early fright clubs which made me this like oh oh god they were so i mean we were yeah. a little rusty at first it took us a minute to get our groove on so yeah. thanks for putting up with all of that they Katie. were good you know we felt good about them at the time but it's <laughs> it's like when you hear that early recording like before someone like billy joel got a recording contract something he recorded you know at his friend's studio you're like oh I do hear some talent there, but ooh, that needs some work. <laughs> so, just think of us as early Billy Joel, no, Katie. No, God, don't think of us as Billy Joel at all. Why would you pick Billy Joel? I hate him. He's got some stuff. I like some Billy Joel. Yeah, I hate Billy Joel. How did this turn into a ragging on Billy Joel? <laughs> Gee whiz. This got way off the rails. All right, amusements. There's a bunch here I see in the notes that uh, didn't make the list but are worthy of a mention. I think we kind of wanted to talk about It Chapter 2 because it's new, but it, yeah. it's not, you know, we're, I only picked five. We only picked five, so yeah. it didn't quite make that list. But I think it'd be worth maybe a quick mention. Yeah, um, well, overall, It Chapter 2, we, as we talked about um, in detail on our other podcast, The Screening Room, check it out. That's right. We were a little disappointed in It Chapter yeah. 2 just yeah. because we liked It Chapter 1 so much. And uh, <laughs> that's going to be coming up here soon. I'm sure we're going to be talking about that movie. But uh, yeah, it's it's got some moments, but it's just it's way too long, and it just seems a little a lot more undisciplined than number one. And of course, it suffers from you know the source material. It has a hard time wrapping that story up. I yeah. think I, I, we both think that it chapter two improves upon the book ending and the TV miniseries ending, yeah. but still just uh, yeah, chapter it's, one it's was unwieldy. Just, and and I I was so bothered by the CGI. It's like yeah. so bothered by it. And I don't know if it was a conscious decision that that was the look that they were going for. But but right from when uh, Beverly goes home, which is the trailer, right? So right, and right. and uh, and Jessica Chastain, who's always great. She's great in that scene. And then the, the payoff of that scene, I think I might have laughed out loud like that. Just and then the style of that CGI, the, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and it wasn't the only style they used because when as we talked about on the other podcast when it's pennywise specific it looks great it's cool looking mm-hmm. and still a lot of the the imagery that they use with all the balloons and with with him but too much of it especially in the middle just seemed yeah. to be uh, a, a all constructed for a clearly telegraphed jump scare mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, although i did think the ending rescued it a little bit. Yeah. I did like the slam bang, guns blazing ending, yep. and some of the psychological uh, probing it was yep. doing yep. worked a little yep. bit better. But all in all, not, we were a not, little bit disappointed. Not, not as good as uh, as it chapter one. But we'll get to that. All right. Besides it chapter two, what else is in here? Well, there are a couple of classics that uh, that I I tossed around and, and wound up not making the final cut. So the unknown and the man who laughs both. Oh yeah, awesome. And then there are so 
some that, you know, the Lost Boys. I, you know what? I don't think we've ever had the Lost Boys on a list, and I would really love to talk about that. It's, and, fu- it's funny. Go back to The Man Who Laughs just a minute. Yeah. I was reminded, we were flipping channels the other night, and Casablanca was mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. At which he is in. Oh. And you just, oh, that's right. And then you look <laughs> back at his, uh, his career, and I, I was reminded of that. But okay, I digress. That's okay. Yeah, the Lost Boys, which just didn't quite make it either. Although, you know, there are a couple of movies in here that remind me a bit of, of uh, Santa Carla and the Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. And then there are some that aren't good, but uh, are always worth a mention. So Funhouse, Toby Hooper's Funhouse. Um, I think I'm bringing it up now because I think people are going to be mad that it's not on the list because it's Toby Hooper right? is beloved. And, his, um, that wasn't his first movie? No, okay, sorry. no. And it wasn't his best either, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> One of them that I thought when I first did this would make it was Something Wicked This Way Comes, but I went back and watched it again, and it's not a horror film. It's not. It's really kind of a family movie. It's it's spooky, but it has that that super nostalgic framing device that I hate, and it didn't quite make the cut either. Here's another one that's going to make people mad, I think. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm. You hate that movie. It's fun, campy badness, but uh, but there are some really solid films. Clown House is one that we've talked about before, mainly because Sam Rockwell is in it. Yeah. Vampire Circus is the thing when I was looking for specifically circus movies. Vampire Circus is a nutty hammer movie that's worth checking out for its sheer nuttiness. And talk about nutty baby blood. Oh, my God. Uh, baby Blood will never actually make a list unless we talk about really insane and terribly bad French films, which we might do someday. Uh, I, yeah, it strikes me that we have talked about that at some point. We talk about it, but it's never on a list because oh. it's just terrible, but it's so batshit insane okay. that I think people should watch it anyways. Was well, that a category sometime, batshit insane? I, well, you know what? Maybe we should make it a category. Mm. I like it. And know. then the last one, which is not necessarily a horror movie, but it's horrifying, is the original Dumbo. Yeah, that would be a strange one to put on a, put on a horror movie list. Dumbo. It would be, but it's just it just it kills you. Mm, it does. At least the the original does. Let's put it that way. Okay, that's everything on the outlying. Yep. So we've got uh, five amusements, and woo, these are good ones. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Especially when you look at the one that lands at number five, because to have this at the tail end of of the list means it's a good one. A shy student trying to reach his family in Ohio. A gun-toting tough guy trying to find the last Twinkie and a pair of sisters trying to get to an amusement park joined forces to travel across zombie-filled America. 2009 Zombieland. Welcome to Zombieland. My mother always told me, someday you'll be good at something. I mean, I don't think she could have guessed that that something would be zombie killing. What do you think? Zombie kill of the week? You guys want some Purell? Yes. Yeah. And we should say right out of the gate, take your red Sharpie and circle October 18th on that calendar because that is Zombieland Double Tap. Double Tap. Very excited. So excited. excited. They've got the movie poster up. We were just at the theaters the other night, and uh, they got the movie poster up. I know. And uh, yeah, excited. I know. I'm very excited for that one because we loved Zombieland yeah. so much. I mean, they did everything so well, which is funny because the director, Ruben Fleischer, has gone on to really not be a very good director, to be honest <laughs> with you. But man, the writers, uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, they went on to do both Deadpools. Mm-hmm. And so you, they just have such an irreverent yet somehow sweet sense of humor that's perfect 
you know, cinema is like the perfect way for it to bloom. And everything about Zombieland worked for me. Yeah, and we've had this on many lists for good reason. So let's focus here on the amusement part yes. of it. Because it works so well when they get to the amusement park. It, it really does. It does. And and part of the reason is because, of course, uh, Columbus, Jesse Eisenberg, he's afraid of clowns. And so, <laughs> you, you know, and what a perfect place. Right. And, oh, look at that fucking clown. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it, such a great line anyway. Yeah. And, and there's, uh, there's so many great set pieces. You got the one <gasps> where they're trapped and being pursued on the big ride. Yes. And that is very tension-filled, yep. and he gets to be the hero. Columbus yep. does. That's and right. And then, of course... You've got The Last Stand by Tallahassee. Oh, oh, my God. That's such a great sequence. It's amazing. And, it, I mean, the whole film from beginning to end is just, like, a great action sequence after action sequence. You know, I, I mean, they break into short, very funny bits that don't have action. But the movie is such an action film. And that scene with him alone in the kiosk and all of the guns blazing, oh, my God, it was just glorious. I think I do have to say... Uh, we're all watching the movie saying to ourselves, why are you going to an amusement park, girls? Do you know how much attention you're going to draw? Exactly. And I think they actually handle it pretty well. They it's do. just like, you know, this little girl and her childhood is over and mm -hmm. her sister, who's not really her sister because they come from Little Rock and Wichita, right. but still just wants to give her a slice of her own childhood back. And, yeah. But it's you're like, but but I mean, if you can get past that, what they do with it yes. is just Awesome. Because not only is it just fun, but it gives an ad, such an added boost of visual, oh yeah, you know, visual enticements. You yeah. got all the rides and the lights and different things that you can use strategically to carve out tension or or fun. Just shoot them up with oh, the yeah. uh, with the uh, Woody Harrelson scene. They really use it to great effect in the, in the architecture, for, yes. for better word. Of that uh, amusement park, oh, and it's they just, absolutely it's just do. perfect. Yeah, they absolutely I, I, I agree. Do. It's a little illogical, but they do, like you said, a pretty good job of making you just, all right, let's go with this yep, yep. and have fun. And it makes such good use of the amusement park. That's why it's on the list at number five, Zombieland from 2009. Uh, moving up to number four, the one we were just kind of alluding to a little bit ago, just from a couple years ago. This one is set in the summer of 1989. A group of bullied kids band together to destroy the shape-shifting monster disguising itself as a clown, preying on the children of Derry. It, chapter one. this one a lot lately actually of course because chapter two just came out yeah if you go back in time to when it was about to come out there was so much anticipation and a little dread and a little maybe anger because tim curry was so magnificent as pennywise he was in the the miniseries from 1990 was i mean the best thing about it oh absolutely really there's no question uh, and so, you know, I think that they did a, a, a lot of smart things with the new Pennywise because they made him not the same type of clown. And the clown that he was uh, instead is sort of, you know, reminiscent of like old fashioned clowns. And Bill Skarsgård was just perfect. Yeah, he really was. It's, I, hard, it's hard to do. It's hard it, to take something like that 
and carve out your own. It's you kind of think to uh, the Joker character, yeah. which of course is now being reimagined again. But at the time, you thought nobody can play the Joker after Jack Nicholson. Exactly. And what did Heath Ledger do? Right. He totally, won the Oscar. It, totally his own thing. Yeah. So you've got to do that. He couldn't go in there trying to do a Tim Curry impression. No. That would be foolish. It was. You make it your own character, and did a great job, and he, was very scary. Yes, he was. He was incredibly scary, and the kids were great, which is, I think, another really important part of of the the success of this film is that all of those kids were wonderful. Yeah, there's a great great story I read about one of them in particular, um, Jack Dylan Grazer, who played Eddie, and he's gone on really look out for that kid because also if you didn't see. Um, the Shazam movie. Yeah. But he's great in yeah. that, too. This kid is talented. But anyway, when they were filming it early on, Bill Skarsgård, because of the reaction that uh, Grazer was giving him, he, he was really worried that the kid was, like, being really scared. Right. And so after a scene, he asked him if he was okay, and the kids just looked up and said, love what you're doing with the character. And, just, <laughs> and so Skarsgård said, okay, this kid is a pro, you know. But but you're right. All the kids were fantastic. They were. And we also, one thing we mentioned about this movie, and you have especially, was how well and what a smart, how well they did it and what a smart decision it was to update it to the 80s. It was. And, you know, when once you get to the second one, it makes sense because it, it brings the, the clo- closure to present day. So that's obviously why they did it. But because they moved it from, um, you know, ahead a couple of decades, it allowed them to rewrite all the dialogue. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, Stephen King, it's like, I, I hate to come out sounding like I'm criticizing Stephen King, one of the masters of horror, but he, he his dialogue can be a little bit stale and trite and unbelievable, and he doesn't end very well. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, and so, which, which, of course, is a is a piece that is made fun of in It Chapter yes, 2. They that, really, that's a running gag it is, in It Chapter they, 2. That it doesn't end very well. Yeah. But because they updated it to the 80s, you know, they got the chance to to give these kids some very often really funny, funny dialogue. And they don't entirely lose that kind of nostalgia that you end up when you're, when you're you know, watching a movie where the kids grow up. But it felt less forced I think oh, because yeah. it was it was set in the eighties as yep. opposed to in the uh, in the fifties or sixties. Yeah, it was so well done. The kids seemed so natural and had such a, a, a friendly chemistry, like they were a, a bunch of quote unquote losers. And, and it's interesting at the time they asked all those actors before they had cast Chapter Two who they thought should play their grown up roles, and two of them got them right because Bill Hader was picked, and <laughs> and then of course Jessica Chastain was picked because that makes perfect sense. So the two of them got them right. Right. Uh, and, That's funny. Yeah, in seeing their adult versions, but they do. There, it's a great cast of kids, and Pennywise, even though he has about I don't know less than four minutes of actual dialogue. Right. It's all about the look. Yeah. And it's all about what they do with that character, and I just think it's downright scary. Yeah. So much scarier than the second one for me. Yeah. Um, that it's it's so effective and and that's the I guess the uh, catch twenty two of having the first one be so good. That's why we were disappointed in the second one. Yeah. Even though it's not terrible, we're not saying it's terrible. No. It just didn't live up to our hopes after this one. Right. And and as we've said in in, in other interviews that the fact that you go from children in peril to adults in peril mm-hmm. that that's a problem because it it's never going to be as scary. Yeah. But and, and we did like the second one, but man, we liked the first one. Yeah, and uh, if you want to go back to keep it to the the amusements angle, the clown that's the the anchor, and yeah. Skarsgård does he just does a great great he really, job. Really, really does. And 
going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and as we mentioned, one two of our favorite things about the second one, there's new kid characters mm-hmm. in peril. Those are great scenes they in the are. second one. They're scary. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that children in peril because yeah. we don't know these kids no. and what's going to happen. So it does. second one does has, have its moments. But really love the first one, and that is why it's number four on our list of amusements. Uh, moving up to number three, this is just the one that we showed at the previous Fright Club Live that we would have done the podcast if I would have bothered to show up. (laughs) Jeez. It's a young trapeze artist deciding between her lust for Sergio, the happy clown, or her affection for Javier, the sad clown, both of whom are deeply disturbed, to put it mildly, from 2010, The Last Circus. So this is from the completely warped mind of Alex de la Iglesia, mm-hmm. uh, the writer and director. And he has done, usually with other writers, he's done uh, a bunch of very bizarre films. Uh, Perdita Durango is one. Witching and Bitching is one. Uh, this is my, without comparison, my favorite of his films. Even just, I mean, just for the way it looks, number one. Yeah. That's why we were so glad to show it on the big screen and in 35 millimeter yes. because even if you've seen it on the small screen, if you get a chance to see it on the big screen, do it. Yeah, because it starts uh, in in uh, Javier's childhood as uh, his dad is a clown and they're part of a circus and, and they get uh, uh, forced, even in their costumes, to fight a battle against Franco's armies, and it's it's um and that's really it, it's funny. There are certain ways in which this film will remind you of like the Devil's Backbone, or or uh, you know, it's really Del Toro type of uh, yeah fantasy. Although it's it doesn't have the romantic sort of monster imagination of of a Del Toro. It's just that it's mainly sort of allegorical to this battle. That's really what's happening. You've got a happy clown and a sad clown, and the woman in the middle, and they are the two factions really who are fighting for. The country of Spain. That's really the whole thing is allegorical. And at the same time, you think this has gotten so out of hand, everybody's nuts. It really is a circus. The whole place is a circus. And I think that that's carried out well because I don't think it in any way overtakes the the narrative itself, which is just fascinating about the, a sad clown who falls for... The most sadistic, meanest, happy clown you're ever going to find falls for his woman. And it's just it's just... It's a train wreck in the best way. Well, and anytime you're thinking of a sad clown, you're going to think of that opera, Pagliacci, which is, of course, Italian. But this has operatic feelings to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. It has a feel of an of operatic moments to it. It does. And, and which, which I think they were obviously playing off of because you're going to... For a lot of people, when you think of the that classic sad clown, mm-hmm. that's the character you think of, and yeah. I, I think he had this in his back pocket. Yeah, and if I go if I go back to that baby blood, one of the things that I I really liked about that is this kind of seedy circus vibe that it had, mm-hmm. and that's what this has too. I mean, you, you you're never really in the big the big top with them. You're sort of in the trenches, and they're introducing each other, and they're in their nasty like trailers where they live, mm-hmm. and it's just so like. <laughs> 
unpleasant and freak show like, you know, so often they're still wearing all of their costumes and their makeup and their, you know, the camaraderie among the freaks or just the circus people is really, I think, very sweet and fuels the whole film. And then Carolina Bang, who is also married to the director, she's the beautiful woman in the middle. And she also just it's just such a spot on performance. And the acrobatics are just so fun to watch. It looks great. And then it leads to this just completely batshit insane finale that, again, just works so well with the allegory itself and also just with this madhouse story that uh, that Iglesias is telling. And the film has many things, one of which, another of which, is the Wilhelm scream. Ah! What? And you know I like to keep I track know. of the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> this this actually, this movie features it several times, but the, the most prominent is probably when the two midgets are thrown out of the Wonderland cargo tent about twice. <laughs> About 20 minutes in. Yeah, yeah. Once you become, dare I say, an aficionado (laughs) of the Wilhelm scream, you cannot miss it. You cannot miss it. You can't. I know. (laughs) There Uh, it is. Yep. Yep. You can't miss it. It is really true. It's like hearing Michael McDonald singing background (laughs) of a song. You know, once you've heard Steely Dan's Peg or something like that, well, that's Michael McDonald, and you're going to hear him, you know, the king of yacht rock. From here on in, so I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna. There's a moratorium on any comments about 1970s AM radio hits for the rest of <laughs> but today. Look, look at the context here. I'm drawing a, a parallel between the Wilhelm scream and yacht rock. Where else are you gonna get that? Yeah, kind of hard hitting. That's right. Discourse. That's right. Right only here. in a only in a horror movie podcast. Right here on the Fright Club. <laughs> That's why you want a Yamo be here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I'll show myself out. (laughs) Okay. The last circus, number three on our list, is this has gone completely off the rails, much like that movie. Moving up to number two from just this year. What? A family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. Jordan Peele's Us. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scare a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. What are you people? It's us. Do you know what we get to watch tonight, George? Tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Little Monsters. Oh, man, that's right. Thank you to the person who shall remain nameless that hooked us up with an early screening of that. Lupita Nyong'o, yeah. zombies, mm-hmm. a zoo, which makes me think that we're going to really quickly probably do a whole podcast on zoos, which oh, we can yeah, do because I already should. have five in my head. Yeah. But before she went to the zoo, she mm-hmm. went... To the amusement she park. She did. And that's, that is the one that uh, most clearly recalls... The Lost Boys. Yes. And, uh, well, and, and many other movies. Yeah. There's so many uh, homages. Because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't steal. No, he doesn't no. steal. No, no, no. The good artists don't steal. <laughs> no. They homage. They homage. Yeah, there's so many of those callbacks starting right from the very beginning. Love it. Uh, and it's just another indication, uh, more proof of what a horror movie student, as if we didn't know yeah. from, from uh, Get Out, yeah. what a horror movie student uh, Jordan, Jordan Peele, Peele is. is yeah. And now he's proving to just uh, play out his own his own vision so masterfully. And this one, 
it's so anchored in the amusement park yeah, because without spoiling so much above ground and below yeah. ground right there the amusement park yeah. it's where things start it's where things finish yeah. pretty much yeah and you're right it, it provides an incredible callback to uh, well the lost boys and also on the beach there to jaws oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. some others oh yeah one of the things i think that this movie if you if just just focused on the amusement park angle and one of the reasons that i think amusement parks are a great setting for horror is the way that a horror film can take what is an innocent childhood entertainment and look at it in a way that is perverse. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's this macabre perversion of childhood innocence. Mm -hmm. And I think that he does that really well in this movie, particularly, of course, when she goes into the Hall of Mirrors. Right. Yeah, because everything hinges on that. Mm -hmm. When her, her, her trip as an early a young girl into the amusement park and then wandering off by herself. And then, of course, you get the uh, the moment that leads to the big twist, yeah. the big reveal yeah. toward the end. It's it's so much about the amusement park. And then when you find out what's going on right underneath, yeah, um, yeah it's it's masterful. Even if, and, you know, I've talked to a couple of people since then that said they guessed the twist. Okay, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But even if you do, even if you do guess the twist right away, I it's and I didn't, um, it still has to work. It it's does. the way yeah. he constructs it, mm -hmm. and it's constructed so well. And you're right about um, subverting those those not only the childhood innocence, but here you're subverting the uh, good times of a family vacation. Yeah, kind of the same thing. You know, all, all the the kids, adults even, will remember the fun of a family vacation they had, and you're taking that. Everybody's just having fun. The dad, as we said, is such a perfect goofball. Oh my God, he's great. And then, Listen to he's so great. In this yeah, movie. he really is. Uh, and then things get horrific, and boy, they do, and and they get. Pretty darn bloody. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it's all rooted in uh, what's what happened at that amusement park, and it's it's just it's so good. Now it made me surprised in reading these notes that it was just it was still this year. Right, because we've talked about it, it was a so lot. Often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's just man, you, because another we talked about the big shoes to fill of a of a role, a famous role. That you're taking over. Jordan Peele had such shoes to fill of his own, yeah. his own debut. Think, yeah. okay, what do you have for yeah, us your now? Sophomore, the sophomore slump is this what is, he was facing, yeah. and boy, you know, he Not he a didn't. Slump, no. no, and it's it's funny because a lot of times, uh, you know, a filmmaker will step out of the horror genre. You know, I mean, you, it's a good place to make your mark because mm -hmm. it's an it's uh, the easiest of the genres to make money. And obviously, he made his mark. He won an Oscar for it. Yep. But his follow up was another horror, which was great, and it didn't. It was a completely different kind, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it was another just superior effort. And, you know, I'm hoping that he sticks with us. I'm hoping that he continues to make horror movies. And it's another one, much like Get Out, but in different ways, that invites so much continual discussion about it. About I think this one themes. in particular, because um, because so much of it is symbolic, mm -hmm. but in an open-ended way, because it yeah. could mean multiple things. Yes, exactly right. Get Out was pretty much more concrete about what he was saying exactly you could i suppose argue it to degrees or, or as i did with one person on facebook argue it to well <laughs> you, did, you didn't get into the ground <laughs> you didn't get it sir you didn't get it um but yeah this one is much more open-ended by design mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. and and it really invites that discussion and it's fun to do and uh boy it was when you think about one when you were putting together this list i was surprised that this came in at number two because it jumped right to the top of, of my thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I look at number one. I think, okay, all right, <laughs> I'll give you that. So us at number two on our list of amusements 
in horror uh, from just this year. Yeah, 2019. Hard to believe. Moving up to number one, and if it slipped your mind, we'll put it right back in there right now. It's the classic from 1932, a circus's beautiful trapeze artist. It's always a trapeze artist. It is. Agrees to marry the leader of the sideshow performers, but his deformed friends discover she's only marrying him for his inheritance. Freaks. We didn't lie to you, folks. We told you we had living, breathing monstrosities. Look at him laugh. They're swine. They can't hurt me. But they hurt me. They're going to make you one of them. My Their code is a law unto themselves. Offend one, and you offend them all. Somebody put out on social the last couple of weeks just the question, what, what's the first movie that comes to your mind when you think of controversial horror? Yeah. And... Uh, this wasn't the first one that jumped to my mind, but boy, it's one of them. Yeah, it's got, it got to be the first one, but one of the very first ones to really cause a commotion. It did. In fact, it it more or less ended Todd Browning's career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and he was uh, he was flying high on the uh, bat wings, right, of Dracula. <laughs> Dracula. And his follow up movie uh, was was very very controversial because, of course, he used real circus performers. You know, there was there's always that tug of war between. Whether or not what he's doing is exploiting them. Yeah, and it's interesting because the original, two members of the original cast were going to be Myrna Loy and Gene Harlow. At the time, huge oh, stars. Oh, my God, yeah. Huge stars. And then when they learned more about what he was doing, they backed out. Uh, they backed right out. So, yeah, that's always the question of, of exploitation mm-hmm. and... Um, and original intent, but you're right. It's to, to think that he was riding so high off Dracula yeah. and then pretty much just got railroaded out of town. Yeah. Well, this was not the first film that he he made, uh, you know, with the kind of circus freak backdrop. And it's his own it was his own history. He had uh, he had been a performer in the circus. He had been with the circus, and that's why I think it came so naturally to him. And that maybe it didn't even occur to him that he was in fact exploiting these people while he was also giving them jobs. And I mean, you know, I think that I do think that it's not as overt as maybe some people might think. Um, but I remember that that as a kid, I was thinking like, well, I'm never going to watch that. And then finally one day I'm like, I need to watch this movie. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, yeah. I, I truly, I love this movie. Yeah, and of course, the the, the one of us has become just oh, yeah. iconic and, and so influential. I think, you know, I think that that's, I think that's one of the reasons that it has ha- it has had such staying power, particularly I think with horror fans, because a lot of times horror fans w- individually see themselves as outsiders, and that is at, you know the Ramones loved right. It, mm-hmm. it gives this sense of the community of outsiders, mm-hmm. like like we don't want to be like you, you want to be like us, mm-hmm. and uh, and if you don't, well, welcome to the chicken lady exhibit. <laughs> um, uh, but then and- you you get the whole the whole um, device of someone screwing them over. Oh, yeah. You know, and they find out that someone from the outside that you think was, was you know, treating you as an equal right. is just trying to fleece you. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I think that's another part of why it is, uh, it does have the staying power is that idea that, you know, they're not, or, you know, I think when you watch it, you see yourself as 
one of the freaks, right? So you're so you know what I mean? Like that's the point of view that that's the sympathetic point of view is so and I think that that is very unusual, especially in 1932. Oh, yeah. That you're not watching the movie from the perspective of the two handsome people who are fleecing these people. You're seeing yeah. it from the perspective of the freaks. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful statement that he makes. And then the fact that, you know, they're not uh, they're not the victims that that these that the tall people think they are mm-hmm. is also, I think, empowering to viewers who have seen themselves as outsiders. Yeah, it was based on a novel, the original novel called Spurs. And it was originally purchased as a property for Lon Chaney, uh, but then he pretty much died right after yeah. right after the the rights were purchased. So it went on many di- went through a few different hands and a few different uh, ideas for development before it became uh, landed into uh, in Todd Browning's hands. And it's uh, it actually had an, a different ending originally. It showed Hercules singing soprano in the new sideshow because he had been castrated. Right. And that was another piece that got intense negative reaction for some preview audiences. So that was cut. And apparently from what you read, there's a, some film historians to say there's much lost footage. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. And, you know, the ending itself, the, you know, the final mm-hmm. image it's a weird one that doesn't make really any sense, regardless of the fact that it's become quite iconic. And it is really, it's it's the segments that lead to that, starting with the one of us, mm-hmm. one of us. And then, you know, the the, the guy with the, te- the, the knife in his teeth crawling through the mud. He, Todd Browning really gets creepy. You know, that... W- w- the the scary parts when the film finally decides that it's going to be scary mm-hmm. they are scary they are creepy and unsettling yeah. and my favorite parts of the film i just love those the other thing i love about this movie well hans he's impossible not to love he's just <laughs> that sweet little yeah. chubby cheek faced he's so cute and then of course frida is the woman who really loves him but she he's going to throw frida over because the beautiful yeah. cleopatra wants to have him and of course the the two the actor and actress there, they were brother, brother and sister. sister. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yes, that was what I was getting to, which just adds to the freaky nature of <laughs> yeah. this movie. Yeah. Like, oh, that's... Uh, and, and it's funny because you can't possibly not know that they look and sound exactly alike. They do, but you could see it from Todd Browning's perspective. Well, I'm going to cast them. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you could see that. And it was actually the their, their reunion at the end of most of the prints of the movie... That was not part of the original ending. That was uh, added to give the film a quote-unquote happier Happy ending, ending yeah. to get their reunion. But it's an endlessly fascinating movie, and it's become such a classic for, for so many reasons. And it's one of those things where you look back on and wonder, how could you get away with that today? Right. You know, if you try to do something like that, which there's just, there's just it opens up such a can of worms in so many different ethical uh, areas mm-hmm. where some people would argue, like you just said, no, they're... Giving them jobs and, you know, putting them in the film industry. But yes, but are you exploiting them for your own gain? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. It's I mean, a- it's, it is because, again, I think that the fact that it's from the point of, that's that's the point of view that the film takes. Yes. I don't think that the film necessarily exploits them. On the other hand, there are a number of those actors who, they didn't make their own conscious decision to be in a film. Right. And I, and I think going back you can find so do some research some of the after the film came out and got its reaction some of the actors some supported it mm-hmm. uh, and some turned and and realized yeah i'm not on board with yeah, this yeah, now yeah. so uh I'm, uh, my memory is maybe escaping me a little bit now but i think you had some that were still very supportive of it and some not but that's just the the kind of reaction that this movie had yeah. it's totally totally argued from from all different angles and that's Let's face it, that's one of the reasons controversy helps sell things sometimes. Yeah, yeah.
And uh, this one has become a classic and sits at number one in our list of Amusements and Horror, 1932. It is Freaks. Well, it's funny. You weren't there for the happy hour, but Richard, who comes to every Fright Club. Yes, thank uh, you. And they were, he was unhappy that he wasn't going to get to hear the podcast and he, he was going to have to wait now to find out what the number one movie is and he was just like <laughs> I just hope that I can count on you to not have forgotten freaks and I just looked to the ground like I'm not saying anything but uh, no Richard we did not forget freaks. Did not. So yeah I'll try I'll try to make it another four years before I uh, can't make it to That's a, goddamn right. To a podcast <laughs> recording. So uh, alright what do you think of these choices? What do you think of freaks or uh, anything else? Let us know. Or if you, you know what? I know there's some people that thought that It Chapter 2 was better than It Chapter 1. So Well, I bet there are a lot of people who thought Killer Clowns from Outer Space ought to make this list. Well, you may be right about that, too. So uh, always love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. That's the easiest way. We're at Fright Club Pod. You can also find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other podcasts that we mentioned, The Screening Room, and a bunch of other fun stuff. Even... Some Fright Club gear. What? what? It's available, people. Uh, you can find that on our main website, which is madwolf.com. So, fun stuff. As we mentioned, the next Fright Club Live is going to be October the 9th, as we're going to show Train to Busan and talk about... Vehicular horror. Vehicular. And in somewhere in between, here and there, we are homaging an idea from Jason and Brandon. <laughs> That's right. Homaging. We're gonna do bars. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do bars and horror movies because that's fun. It's a fun idea, and I've had fun collecting uh, some some titles. I haven't, for I haven't seen the list, but the first thing that comes to my mind when you say bars and horror, that's what I call a fucking show. <laughs> that's because that's never very far from your mind. <laughs> <laughs> because you know I love the Danny Treehouse. That's why. That's exactly why. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So until then, we hope to hear from you. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. She is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. Should I say it? You say it. Stay frightful, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>